a Podcast One production. Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, said, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've waited too long to launch. I'm Bernadette Schwert, and this is How to Build an Online Business. Now, no one wants to be embarrassed about their startup, but waiting for perfection before launching is guaranteed to ensure your startup never sees the light of day. So is there a middle ground? You bet. It's called the MVP, and that stands for Minimum Viable Product, a process every great startup follows if they want to test their idea before investing more in it. Airbnb, Groupon, Dropbox, Amazon, they all got started with an MVP, and you could say things turned out pretty well for them. Lots of people have got great ideas for startups, but few actually ever bring those ideas to fruition. One man who did take his idea from concept to completion is Morgan Coleman, the founder of Vets on Call. Morgan has followed the MVP process to the letter, and in this episode, he shares with us exactly how he did it. Morgan, what is Vets on Call? Well, really simply, Vets on Call is a mobile app that brings the veterinarian to you. So we do home consultations for um, dogs and cats uh, for people in pet, uh, metropolitan areas. And what made you come up with the idea? I had dogs all through my childhood, but uh, admittedly, I'd never really been the person to look after them. And I got my dog, Milky, and um, the first time I took her to the vet, it, I just found the whole experience um, to get to the vet during business hours really inconvenient. Um, it was really stressful on Milky, uh, who was petrified, um, and there was no transparency as to what I was going to pay at the end of the consultation. And after leaving the vet that day, I thought to myself, you know, there just there has to be a better way. And I started thinking of what eventually became Vets on Call. I have to agree with you. I have cats. And if the cat is well-behaved, that's great. But I've got this little crazy cat and try putting her in a box yeah. and getting her in a car. I actually haven't taken her to the vet yet because I can't. I can't get her in a box. So this is a brilliant idea. Dogs is one thing, but cats is another level of, Absolutely. You know, of conditioning altogether. You just can't get them there. So tell us about the first steps you took in taking this idea to fruition. Well... I had the, you know, the sort of really basic idea of what I wanted, but then I had to initially do desktop research to find out if this actually existed. Um, and at the time, there was no one else doing it in the world, which was quite exciting. Um, and then following that, it's, you know, you've got this idea, but really, how would that work? It sounds quite uh, rudimentary, but I basically just got out a notebook and started, you know, um, brainstorming as to how I would actually model this business. And following that, then it was like, okay, well, now I've got an idea of the model that I would like to take to the market. Would the market actually appreciate this? Because it's one thing to to have an idea that's not actually in the market, but it's another thing for the market to actually want it. So um, following that, I put together a survey, not just for pet owners, but for vets as well. And through social media, just distributed it to as many people as I could. Um, and the the results that I got were overwhelmingly positive and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm onto something here. What were the questions on the survey? Oh, well, I mean, for the vet, it was 
um, would you do home consultations during your spare time? Um, you know, what would you like to be paid? Those sorts of things that kind of narrowed down the model that I'd built out in, on the scrap piece of paper. Um, and then for the pet owner, it was things like, would you like to have a vet come to your home? What's your price point for this? Um, just questions sort of similar to that. Okay, so you've brainstormed it on the back of an envelope. Yeah. You've sent out a survey through social media. Yep. Can I ask how many people you actually surveyed on either side? So I did do statistics um, in in university and the one thing that I did remember is that, you know, for you to be able to uh, quantify or generalise the results of a survey to a population, you needed it at minimum 30. So I was hoping to get 30 and I ended up with pet owners, I think I had about 250 um, and with vets, I ended up getting about uh, 50 to 55, roughly. I'm really curious about the social media campaign that you put out. Can you talk to me about what the text was? What was the copy that made people respond? Well, it was actually more or less just begging my friends and family that I had, or like that I was friends with on Facebook to distribute this and that, you know, I was looking for feedback on the industry um, when I was talking to vets and um, with pet owners, like I basically just asked them, you know, I'm looking at putting together a veterinary service. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences and fill out this survey that takes maybe two minutes? And it was a survey monkey. Well, yeah. Well, yep. that was the program. Yeah. yeah. Had to be free. <laughs> <laughs> True bootstrapping. Yeah. Fantastic. So you got the survey back and this gave you, I guess, a validation of your idea? Yeah, basically. I mean, I think... Um, initial validation of the idea. To think that it was, you know, validation of the business in general would be um, a stretch, but validation that, yep, I was on the onto something and this is worth, some, worth actually pursuing further. What did that feel like when you got the results back that you were hoping for? I mean, it's really exciting. Um, I think being an entrepreneur is exciting and at times it's really gut-wrenching. <laughs> um, but, you know, those moments, you're like... You, it's a little win that you just kind of boost your sales, I guess, you know. And so you got the survey back, you felt excited. What was your next step? Next step was to recruit some vets so that would help me test um, this. So that was um, quite easy. I mean, I had a few friends that had vets that were friends and they agreed to help me sort of more or less just build out what I would need and, and to actually go and test, you know, an MVP. Um, and then it was trying to find pet owners that would test it. And that was a little bit more difficult. Reason being um, was that I didn't want friends and family. I'd take them, but I couldn't just rely on them because they're, they're too likely to, to tell you what you want to hear. And, you know, I think being an entrepreneur, like you've got to think of this as your baby. And, um, Every parent likes their own kid, you know, and you want to hear the feedback from people that aren't biased and aren't going to tell you what you want to hear. So I actually went and hung out in dog parks. And, That's a bit uh, dodgy. <laughs> it sounds really dodgy, but I had a dog, so it was, <laughs> you know, was taking my dog to the, yeah, basically masquerading as a pet owner. Um, <laughs> so I would just approach people in the park and say, look, this is what I'm, I'm thinking of doing. Um, you know, would you be interested in getting a free pet checkup? Um, and, you know, I'd just get your email and sort it out that way. And I ended up with probably about... Um, 
30 people that were willing to, you know, help some random stranger test this idea. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And so you were actually paying for these vet checkups out of your own pocket. That's correct, yep. Talk me through how, how many you did and what you learned from that experience. I think we ended we ended up going through all 30 um, and I staged them out in groups of 10. So um, basically I would have the, it was really, really basic in terms of our MVP. I acted as what our app acts now. So the middleman really. I'd have the client send me their, the time that they would like to have the appointment and then I would match them with a vet that had that availability. And then they'd get a confirmation saying, this vet's going to come to your house at this time and see this pet. Um, and following that, well, we staged it out in those three blocks of 10. Um, but after every consultation, I'd call the vet and I'd get their feedback, what went well, what they didn't like, um, what we could add. And I'd do the exact same thing for the pet owner. And so the next time that we ran it, it was slightly more advanced. And when I say slightly more advanced, I mean we might have an additional line of text in the confirmation email, things like that. And I basically kind of just built that, tested whether people were willing to acquire veterinary services over the internet. Talk to me about that confirmation email because that's really the iteration process, isn't it? Like you learn something and you add it back into the model. So what did you do differently with the, the confirmation emails? Well, I think from memory, and we're talking a little while ago now, but um, when I first started, it was like you have con- you've confirmed your booking um, at, its, at this time next week or whatever the date was. And then following that, the client said, you know, it would be nice to know who's actually coming. Okay, well, we'll add that one in. It'd be nice to, and the vet would say things like, it would not be nice to know who the client is and it would be nice to know what pet I'm seeing. So we started to build out, you know, the confirmation email that more or less was partly the pet profile, partly um, the client profile um, and, and just kind of built on from that. So you've got these people who are interested, you've learned something and what was the next level of iteration? It was automating that connection process. So um, initially we just had this really basic website um, that didn't have any kind of frills Um, and I'd have the vets put in their availability and I'd have the clients then go through the process of I want a vet this time at this date and they'd get the booking. Then they'd get a confirmation email that I would actually send once I saw that it had been done and the, the vet would then go out and do the appointment. And that was really just to test whether people were comfortable without that kind of human element to do the booking. Um, and once again, it was overwhelmingly positive. And, you know, once you kind of confirm and validate, then it's okay, well, what's next? So you're the person in the middle acting like this robot, yeah. but you're actually personally involved in communicating with both parties. Yeah, at that stage I was, yes. So what was the next stage in terms of automating your role? Well, that was adding the, the confirmation emails to be um, automated. So really simply, we knew that people were comfortable booking online or using technology to book a vet. Um, and now it was, okay, well, let's automate the email process so that if they select these items, then they're going to have different outputs in the email. So um, with Vets on Call now, uh, you can select 
up to three pets for your booking. But each one of those pets has a profile that you set up when you set up the app. And so now um, our vets get a confirmation that tells them who's in the booking and they can actually go into the app and look at that pet's profile, including all their previous appointments. What I'm getting from this, Morgan, is that it's a, a constant process of building up and up and up. And so taking from the MVP point of view, the minimum viable product, you start really basic, you, you do it all yourself, and then you just add features as you go. Yeah. And so in terms of your um, next level up, I'm just curious as to why you chose an app versus a website. Was that a big decision? Yeah, it was. Um, and I think for us, it was because if you look at the way people use technology now, it's all in a smartphone. And if I look at Google Analytics of people visiting our website, it's 90% through a smartphone and about 5% through a tablet and 5% from a desktop. So it was kind of, it would have been a lot easier for us to launch with a website, but in terms of what we needed to the app to do and the scalability that we really wanted to have, we needed to have a robust software uh, solution. And that just meant that we had to launch with an app. So Morgan, you're in the park, you're giving out surveys, you're getting people involved. How important was that step in getting to where you are today? I actually think it was critical. Um, and I think one of the the reasons that Vets on Call is now what I believe to be such an amazing service and an amazing product is because I met my customers. I went and learned about what my customers want, what they don't want, and you know what, what their pain points are. Um, I think we're also really lucky in the fact that I am a pet owner and I started this business because of the pain points that I felt, but that doesn't mean that everybody feels that way. That, that process of going and meeting your customers, it doesn't just help you build out your product. It actually helps you with things like reducing the risk, right? So, so for example, I know that there's pet owners that will never use Vets on Call because they just love their vet, but I would never have found that out unless I went and spoke to my customers. And so I immediately know, okay, well, this isn't for, you know, the fourth time pet owner that's had the same vet for the last 20 years. They're not going to use our service. For someone listening who's got an idea for a startup and thinking they've got to go down the MVP route just to test it out, what advice would you have for them in terms of getting that up and running? My advice would definitely be not to skip it. (laughs) Um, And I think... Start with the basics. You need to simplify your business to to its absolute core. And for Vets on Call, our fundamental core proposition is that we bring the vet to you. So when I started, that's all I was doing um, was just having the vet go to the client's house and do the consultation in the home. And it depends on what your business is, but you need to break it down to really test the core part of your business without any frills or, you know, fancy things. Because I think that a lot of people, when they're starting a business, they got this idea and they go, okay, this is brilliant. Oh, and then we can do this and we can do this and we can add this on here. But fundamentally, the client is or the customer is only going to use you for your core benefit. And everything else is a nice to have. And if they're not going to use you for your core benefit, then you really need to rethink what the client or customer really wants. So in what you're saying is that they have to go and find their own dog park with their own product, wherever that might be. Yes. <laughs> I think um, having the actual sort of product or service in its MVP state 
is definitely critical, but then also get in front of your clients whilst you've got that. Because it's at that point where you can build out whether you can determine if those little nice-to-haves that you have when you're sort of brainstorming about this idea, whether the client actually wants them. They might have other ideas that you go, oh, that's brilliant, and I'll scrap my idea and I'll put this in and I'll build this in next. Not only do you have to break down your service or your product to its core value proposition, but you have to get in front of your clients. I'm interested in about the money you paid out of your own pocket to pay for these vet services. How much money did you actually invest in that process? In that particular process, I'd say you're probably looking at, you know, five to $6,000. And was that money well spent? Definitely, 100%. I don't regret that at all. I think, um, you know, vets value their time as they should and to to convince them to go and do this service for free, um, I'm not that good of a salesman. So uh, it was definitely worthwhile and the value that I gleaned from those appointments was invaluable to what we've got now as Vets on Call. I'm Bernadette Schwert, and this is How to Build an Online Business. More after the break. Morgan, you applied to an accelerator called Mass Challenge and you won it. Talk us through that experience and what you got from that accelerator. Well, Mass Challenge started as a competition. So it was a competition um, held in Adelaide last year um, and all startups from Australia applied. And the prize was to go into this boot camp accelerator program in um, Boston in June earlier this year. And it was and it was an amazing experience because it's basic like we ended up having a week of just intensive business development workshops where we learned from some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, um, guys that had sold companies for billions of dollars that they'd started in their mum's basement. But we also learned on the other side from investors. Well, what are what are we looking for when we are going to invest in a business, and what are the things you need to prove to us, and you know, how to, how to take a business from fledging, you know, a few hundred users to something that's worth millions and millions of dollars. And the experience of you building your MVP and talking to dog owners in the park and getting vets and paying them for their services, what role do you think that played in you succeeding at the Accelerator competition? I think that was fundamentally critical. Um, The reason I say that is because for us to win the competition, we actually had to pitch to a panel of judges and the judges were made up of venture capitalists and angel investors. So really they they were judging you on the merit of your business and the merit of you as an entrepreneur, what are you willing to do to make this business work and to prove that it's going to work? And so that story that I had of, you know, I didn't just think of this idea and then go and build this app and, you know, it's just lucky that it's worked. It's, no, I've thought of this idea and this is the process that I took. I know my customer. I know them inside out. And I know them because I've spent time hanging out with them in dog parks in the morning and the afternoon. And you could see the room sort of nodding going, all right, this guy knows what he's talking about. And for an investor, um, that de-risks you as a business. So you're no longer talking about this kind of pie-in-the-sky idea that you have that you don't actually know whether you're right or not. You're talking about something that you've taken the time to 
to validate in a, you know, a methodical way. Now, do you think you're disrupting the vet industry and in what way? I do think that we are, but I think there's this negative connotation with disruption. Somebody in an, in an ingrained industry sort of hears this word disrupt. It's like, oh no, they're turning this into something that I don't want. Um, and I don't really see Vets on Call doing that. I think, you know, we've got overwhelmingly positive feedback, not just from pet owners, but from clinics and vets as well. And so I do think that we are disrupting the vet space, but not in the way that you're going to see the backlash from, you know, that you saw with Uber or, you know, Airbnb with hotels. I don't think that we're doing that. I actually think that we're adding a lot of value to this industry and it's not just us that thinks it. If you had your time over again, Morgan, what would you do differently? I think uh, for me, being a first-time entrepreneur, you know, there's this level of distrust with yourself, I think. And so for me, if I had my time again, I would have just listened to my gut more. Um, There's been a few instances where I thought, oh, like I felt it in my gut that I should do something and I took too long to listen to it. Eventually did and acted on it. But, you know, with a business that's so young as, as we are, you can't delay those kind of actions the way that I did um, previously. And so that would just be one thing that I did. Why do you think we don't trust our instinct? Because I think we let our head lead too often, or I think we let our head actually convince us that what we really feel isn't right. And so, you know, I do a lot of reading and I, um, there's a lot of science now that sort of talks about the neurons that are in your gut and that, you know, your intuition, it's real. Um, and I believe that because there's been so many times where I felt something in my gut and then I've had my head convince me otherwise, like you're being crazy, like, or that's not a good idea or, you know, you rationalize it once your head starts to get in. And um, I think that people just don't really value the intuition of them of themselves. I think you're right. I think it's a case where you think, I don't want to say that or ask for it because it might sound stupid or it might sound pushy or it might sound I'm being unreasonable. But often they're the questions that need to be asked in order to move it along. Yeah. But they're the very ones we don't. Yeah, that's exactly right. What's been the biggest surprise, either unpleasant or pleasant, since you started on this journey? I think the biggest surprise, and it was a very pleasant one uh, for me, was just the level of the media attention that we got. Even before launching, you know, we were we were in The Age, we were on Channel 9 News nation, nationwide, and I thought it was, you know, I was just shocked that people cared that much about what I was doing. You know, I do think we've got an amazing service and stuff, and so I, I think what we're doing is cool, but just having the support from people that don't know you and and the level of interest from the media was awesome. There must be entrepreneurs listening to this thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind a snare of that media action. Talk us through how you got it. Hustle. <laughs> um, just, yeah, honestly, hustle. I'd done a bit of research on, you know, what you should do for a media um, release and then basically just tried to find contacts in the media and, you know, send them an email with the media release, follow them up with a phone call. If they, if only when they say no is when it's really no. Um, You know, if they ignore you, well, keep trying to get onto them until you actually get to speak to them and say, hey, you know, 
I pitched this idea to you. Is this of interest to you and your readers or you and your viewers? Um, and only if they're like, no, <laughs> is when it's really no. <laughs> and what sort of benefits have you had from the media exposure? How do you think it's impacted your business? Well, it's it's obviously given us more users. Um, that's one massive benefit. But I think also the level of credibility that mainstream media can bring to you. Um, it's no longer... Because it, it kind of de-risks you, right? Like now it's not just you spruiking how good this is. It's the trusted newsreader or it's, you know, the trusted journalist in the age. So I think that credibility of, well, this isn't just uh, a, a new business. It's a great new business. And the level of service that they can provide your pet is, is just as good as you can get in the clinic. People often say that being a startup entrepreneur is really hard. I'm really curious, what is hard? What is the number one thing you think is hard about being a startup? For me, I think it's dealing with the pressure that society puts on you. So by that, I mean, you know, we live in this really consumerist society where it's it's almost like a competition, like who's got more, who's got the better car, who makes more money. And as an entrepreneur, like you have to prepare yourself to to just delay that. It's really about delayed gratification. When I started Vets on Call, I went um, from like when I, when I started my own business, I less I was on a salary less than a third of what I was at my previous job, and that means that you have to make a lot of sacrifices around your life. But it's just I think dealing with that. Like every time you look at Instagram, it's like someone with a you know, a new Range Rover or they've just bought their new mansion or they've got a stack of cash. And it's it's not like that as an entrepreneur, you know, particularly when you start. It's it's hard and it's it's a slog. Like you live your business and, you know, while friends are going out and going on holidays or they're um, buying a new car or buying a house, you're not. You're, you know, fundamentally just spending all your time on your business and it's what you live and breathe. And, you don't have the money to go to, you know, a fancy restaurant on the weekend or to um, buy a, a new car. You just don't. And I think that's probably what I found hardest is, you know, people will say, so you're 28, do you own your own home? Well, no, I sold it to start my own business. And people are like, why'd you do that? <laughs> so <laughs> I sold everything I own to start Vets on Call. And starting from scratch when, you know, other people are off buying their own homes and things like that, that's hard to deal with. In wrapping up, Morgan, what are the top three pieces of advice you'd give to a startup? Firstly, for people that have have an idea and they're wondering where to start, dive into the validation process. So before you go and spend heaps of money um, or, you know, you're researching for the next three years, you need to make a start. And the best place to do that is to break down your core value proposition and test that and build from there. But I think that a lot of people allow their fear to hold them back and you've kind of just got to embrace it and and go for it. And number two would be uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. This was some advice I got a couple of years ago um, from a mentor of mine. And I think it's just been the best piece of advice I've ever got because... As, a, as an entrepreneur, you continually have to be putting yourself 
to places that you're uncomfortable. You need to grow along with your business. And so, if you're in a comfortable place personally, then your business isn't growing. And so, you need to push yourself to push your business and grow your business. And if you're not doing that, then you can expect that, you know, your business is just going to stagnate. And then lastly, it would just be never quit. That saying, um, winners never quit and quitters never win or the other way around. It's so true. You know, it's not to say that if you validate or sorry, if you fail to validate something about your business that it's just dead in the water, you can pivot and it's just about continuing to push and having that attitude that I will make this succeed. Like I will make this succeed and there is nothing that's going to stop me. So the takeaway from talking to Morgan is don't let great be the enemy of good. Get your MVP up and running. Launch it, test it, pivot and go again. Persistence is the key to success. How to Build an Online Business was produced by Dave Swalensky. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Recorded in the Podcast One Studios, Australia. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look us up on Apple Podcasts.